for April 19th, 2010. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 94, Post-Racial Dust Cloud. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny... It probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, the nation with the greatest left coast in the nation, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel tonight to overthink Summer Movies Part 2. It's unclear whether this will be Part 2 of 2 or Part 2 of 3, but we're going to keep going with the Summer Movies. Uh, We left off with the A-Team last night. And speaking uh, of the A-Team, if you look today on overthinkingit.com, today, the, the publication day of this podcast being um, Monday, April 19th, 2010, you will see an announcement uh, related to the A-Team, related to uh, one of the the best actors in the A-Team, and of all time, and I suggest that, uh, I I can only say that I pity the fool who does not head to overthinkingit.com and see what we are uh, talking about, because you can be somebody or you can be somebody's fool. So quit your jibba jabba and uh, cartoon all stars to the rescue. Or no, who? who uh, <laughs> you should watch that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. It is. Uh, I think the the continent of Europe is still shut down as regards airplanes <laughs> and whatnot. Um, you know, because of the giant cloud of dust going, uh, you know, going from Iceland and and hanging like a shroud over the European continent. So for all of our listeners who are, you know, stuck and unable to fly around Europe, uh, our hearts, our thoughts are with you. Uh, You know, I don't know, wear a mask or something. Do you have to wear a mask? Uh, for a it's cloud pretty of high up. Dust? The, it's pretty high up. It's high up in the air. I oh, think, okay. Right. You just can't yeah. get up in a plane. Right. 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 Or a zeppelin. We... I heard a lot of talk about whether a zeppelin would be a feasible solution, and the consensus <laughs> is no. A zeppelin would not be a feasible solution because some of the dust particulate is pretty heavy duty and would wreck uh, a prop on a zeppelin. Wreck a turbo prop, pretty good. There you go. So, so uh, yep, stay so... out of your blimps. Learn nothing else. Stay out of your blimps tonight. Stay out of your will... blimps and your airplanes yep. and probably your hot air balloons. Uh, your dirigibles. To... Or yeah, dirigibles. And we're going to uh, take advantage of this situation to uh, survey the <laughs> panel tonight on their favorite cloud of dust in popular culture. <laughs> Joining us tonight, uh, an all-too-infrequent guest from Manhattan Island in New York, it is Mr. Matthew Belinky. Uh, good to be here, as always. Um, my first impulse was to go with the, the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves, which I recently did see only because in the very first like few minutes, right as I was about to turn it off, it features John Hamm in sort of like a, a supporting but well-appreciated role. So I watched it just sort of... And then, and then just as I was about to turn it off, because John Hamm wasn't in it enough, Kathy Bates was in it a little bit. So it all... It, it kept me going. And it does... Um, um, sort of uh, the the mechanism for destroying the Earth that is sort of uh, put into play halfway through the movie is a cloud of uh, was nano nanobots nano but what are the kids calling them nowadays? What is the Michael Crichtons of the word calling them? Little little things that uh, eat everything. So it's sort like of it's like a. Cl- 
Yeah, it's like a cloud of dust that'll just basically dissolve anything halfway organic. And I think the idea is to sort of wipe out all life on Earth so that a more deserving species can take the thing over. Uh, but I'm not choosing that because it's a bad movie, and I, I certainly don't want to be responsible for anyone seeing it accidentally. So I'm going to go with uh, The Nothing. Uh, the Nothing... <laughs> The thing from the Neverending Story, which is a much better movie, uh, which I believe also John Hamm is in. <laughs> <laughs> he played Artax, right? He was. Yeah, he was, was very. Uh, he was very handsome, even as a horse. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, uh, the the nothing, if I recall correctly, is a uh, is a uh, uh, sort of a was sort of like a cloud of a destructive void that is flying through Fantasia and eating away everything and eventually does successfully dissolve Fantasia to a single grain of sand and two actors sort of standing on a blue screen. Um, and so, I don't know. It's, it's, it's terrifying. It's uh, and this symbolic. Is back, this is like back in, in ancient history when chroma key screens were blue and not green as they are today. Yeah, but they're sort of floating there in the void with their single grain of sand. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd say that, like, nothing's fearsomeness as a, as a destructive evil force. It's sort of tempered by the fact that, I guess, spoiler alert for the never-ending story here, that, like, if all you need to sort of undo its massive power is just to sort of close your eyes and uh, make a wish, then, like, how bad can it really be? You know, because I think I think that's the ending of the thing that like the the childlike empress, not the sort of child empress, the childlike empress. I'm assuming she's really old and she just has that she has the reverse disease that Robin Williams has in Jack. Uh, <laughs> it's just like you know, make a wish and you could bring Fantasia back to life, more beautiful than it ever was. And that's one of those. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna write a post one day about the the unstoppable ghost army and Return of the King. How like it's one of these. The solution to the problem is so easy that like why didn't they mention it at first and save us the trouble of watching the movie? Mm. Such so as like you know you have an unstoppable ghost army that can kill all the bad guys, <laughs> or yeah. that like all you have to do is make a wish and then nothing goes away. Right? Yeah. It would have right. been better. It would have been better if you'd you'd summon the ghost army in in book one. Yeah, yeah. Why like, when you summon them and they fight this one battle, uh, don't release them from their oath until they, they kick even more ass and take even more. Don't release them from the oath and they'll be like, anyway, we've got many, many more guys to fight now. <laughs> I think you should just have them carry them across the country to, to Mordor. Like, like, like call them, them in the Shire and like make a litter and have the ghost army just like run really fast carrying them uh, over all the hills and dales, killing anything in their path until they get to the mountain. Because they seem capable of doing that. They swarmed over those elephants pretty fast. So, but I guess they're not a transportation system. It's like using your gun to. It's not a- yeah. yeah, they resent and they resent the implication. Hey, that's Peter Fenzel. Hey, I am seething with rage at not being first in today's countdown. That's actually, that is a, uh, we were developing, we had a special Google Wave once where we were developing an overthinking it podcast drinking game, and drink when (laughs) Fenzel is not first in the alphabet is is one of the things. So those of you watching live, or those of you watching at home, or those of you on some sort of public transportation, like eagles or elephants, uh, (laughs) drink now. Yeah. ghosts. (laughs) <laughs> or ghosts. So, um, of course, I have to name-check the giant clouds of dust that are scattered throughout the great sagas of Dragon Ball Z, but I've talked enough about those already. <laughs> I, I, you know, There's only so much that I can talk about those things before I want to take a couple-week break and then talk about them again. So it's break time. No, my favorite cloud of dust in popular culture is from the 1997 Tommy Lee Jones movie Volcano, in which, due to a... Uh, 
seismic rift, uh, a volcano erupts under the city of Los Angeles, and a crack civil civic worker of some sort needs to redirect the lava flow and deal with the city bureaucracy in a series of mishaps that destroy a lot of. I thought you were about to say redirect traffic around the lava. Yeah, he's. I honestly like that's a non-trivial part of the movie. I believe it's like go drive into the volcano. You have to go around. You have to go around. You have to go around the volcano. Stop driving into the volcano. Yeah, I mean, he actually does actually have to uh, work with the city bureaucracy to uh, fight the volcano. Yeah, it's a movie about the inefficacies of city bureaucracy. Is 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 he like, I need a giant crane to stop the thing? And someone's like, "Uh, I need a permit for that. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm on break. (laughs) Yeah, it won an award, I believe. The movie won an award, and I was Wikipedia it in preparation, but it won an award for the, like, uh, the, the most egregious destruction of private property on film and most irresponsible uh, actions by a film character. Um, it, it, so that's a kind, of, kind of a nice award to win. Uh, but yeah, no, so anyway, at the end of the movie, after they've decided that they've managed to cordon off the volcano, everyone's been made aware of it, the cover-ups have been swept away, and spoilers for the movie Volcano... Yeah, I had 13 years to see it. You know, time's up. Uh, a giant cloud of dust is kicked into the air. Um, and this might also be because they probably do something to Volcano to put it out or something. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But anyway, a giant cloud of dust belches forth into the air and settles over everybody in downtown Los Angeles. And there's this moment where, like, everybody looks around, right, at all the different people in Los Angeles, and everybody's covered in dust. And there's a really, really strong subtext that now that we're all covered in volcanic dust, race doesn't matter anymore. It's like, wow, we're all the same color when we're covered by a volcano. <laughs> so that's something, so it's, uh, it's a, <laughs> so that's something it's like being covered with dust and the election of Barack Obama have in common. Exactly. It's like, it's what, 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 yeah. matter it was, it was movies like, <laughs> it was movies like Volcano that paved the way for Barack Obama to be elected president of the United States. Exactly. Insofar as much as they like, you know, occurred during the late '90s, which needed to elapse in order for Barack Obama's <laughs> election to approach in the timeline, because he was too young at the time to run for president. But yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty fun moment, and it, it's it's obviously this is like. Remember, I, I wrote a lot about Twister when we talked about our, our uh, favorite disaster movies, and disaster movies really have a social message. They almost always have a social message, and it's a social message about sort of coming home and like rediscovering the things that you value, and sort of find, and getting sweeping aside the sort. Of illusions that have complicated your life, uh, and and at the end of Volcano, uh, the illusion that gets swept away is is that like Los Angeles is this sort of balkanized, com- like you know, dysfunctional community of people at each other's throats, and really, really, we're all the same because we're covered in volcanic dust. Yeah, I mean like- that's not that's not an untrue picture of Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll get into falling down in a different podcast. I want to read two things off the poster for Volcano, which I have up in the video feed right now. The tagline of the the movie, at least on the DVD release, is "The coast is toast." <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. And the uh, the pull quote from the Time review of the movie is, "You'll have a hell lava time." <laughs> oh. <laughs> who, who what time is that? Is that? <laughs> what publication? Time. Oh, Time Magazine. Time oh, the magazine. oily rag, as I like to call it. I call that magazine the oily rag. <laughs> I like stopped. I was getting it when I was like sixteen. I was like, "This is crap. I'm not going to get it anymore." <laughs> and I canceled my subscription. You're, no, wait, yeah, Pete. Can I ask you a quick question about the moment? I can't visualize it myself, but I would assume that when everyone is covered with volcanic dust, aren't they all white? 
No, it's a dark gray volcanic dust. So it's like a, a midpoint between black and white. They had to pick the ethnic identity of the volcanic dust in order to not <laughs> insult people with it. Yeah, it's like a gray, basically. <laughs> it's like a deep gray that's like post-racial. Uh, <laughs> so it's like they're all Ferengi. <laughs> they're not Ferengi. They're not brown with giant ears. But uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely they definitely like shot a for a similar sort of combination of skin tones as you see in sort of the post-racial people on Stargate and or Jessica Alba. So um, <laughs> uh, it's sort of a mixture of different hues, but in this case, without any hue, just with you know tone gradation and whatnot. Speaking of post-racial America. But that's supposed to be my lead in. <laughs> I of all people am the number one uh, enemy of the idea of the post-racial America. Race still exists. Racism still exists out there, people. You just can't see it. So I'm right here to decode it. So I'm the minority. Look at me. <laughs> that's not, not very post-racial. I'm saying I'm the minority, huh? Hey, Mark, Mark, can you explain why Asian people eat with sticks? Because we don't understand it. <laughs> Because thousands of years ago, and just, okay, I'm not actually going to do that. You're, you're like the ghost of Christmas past from the future from Aqua Teen Hunter. Thousands of years ago. In the no, future. That, was, that was more of something the exasperated. Oh, I got to explain this shit to white people again. Oh, watch your language. Watch your language. Oh, I was like, look, I don't want chili peppers on our Outlook email from 1997. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, the chili pepper, that was from uh, Eudora, I believe. Oh, Eudora. I was wondering why nobody got the chili peppers anymore. Right. It was when people used Eudora. I forgot yes. about that. Eudora. Right. Um, anyway, so back to the... It's a uh, pretty the name term- for like a, a male client, by the way. Yeah. It's the only male client name that I would give to a child. <laughs> you wouldn't call it, like, Outlook, like you're that for a daughter. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I have a take- son na- I'm going to have a son named Hotmail, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, Hotmail Fenzel. <laughs> Lots of Hotmail Fenzel action. I know I do. Get over here. Wow. That's... <laughs> Yes, the us, the topic which we were ostensibly discussing earlier. <laughs> so I think both of you guys have chosen uh, negative or destructive forces of cloud dust. Uh, mine is much more positive. It belongs to that of Pigpen, the Peanuts character from the uh, from the Charlie Brown <laughs> comic strips. He he was great. Aww. He was he was yeah. like ent- the embodiment of entropy. He was also kind of served as sort of like this kind of gritty subtext reminder that all in the squeaky clean world of Charlie Brown, this kind of something that was still a little bit off, something a little bit funky, a little bit gritty was still there. It's kind of like when you're in New York City and you're up in glistening Park Avenue and then you go down to the subway and you see a homeless guy and it smells like pee. It just reminds you, you know, it keeps you real, it keeps you grounded. That's what, that's what I like Pigpen. <laughs> Is Pigpen homeless? Are you saying that like Pigpen basically like lives outside the, oh, no, uh, I'm, I'm saying that uh, he is the, uh, the the not squeaky clean reminder of that, which is, you know, how life is dirty and messy. Remember, if I were writing a Peanuts fan fiction, yeah, if I were writing Peanuts fan fiction, I would definitely sort of flesh out who he is, where he comes from, why he's so dirty. Why he's so I dirty, would yeah. say that he probably has ringworm or something at this point, because you need to wash. Like, washing is not optional. You really need to do it at some point. I think it was in the 50s, back when yeah. it started, No. <laughs> <laughs> when they started washing. I mean, well, so certainly showering every day is optional and luxurious and probably not something people will do forever given impending global water shortages over the course of the next 50 years. But daily, you know, weekly baths, monthly baths, even semi-annual baths. I think Louis XIV only bathed a couple of times. Um, but like ever? Gotta bathe. Yeah, exactly. But you got to bathe sometime hmm. or you get worms. It's not good, especially in such crowded environments. So... 
Okay. Now you went and, and destroyed my uh, my my sort of innocent picture of Pigpen. He has worms now. That's not fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. Don't don't let the white man tell you how to live. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> follow your own destiny. You don't really need me around. So <laughs> you're a strong you're a strong Asian American. Do your business. I've been telling Whitey no for the last 28 years. I'm not going to about to start doing now. Hmm. All right, fair enough, Mr. Ivy League educated person. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Keep I on fighting like, the system. Uh, Fight the powers the chillers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who I gotta, like plays I, air guitar, Bon Jovi, and Bruce Springsteen with me every time we go to a party together? What? <laughs> I'm appropriating the the simple <laughs> cultural artifacts of the white culture. That's right. You're using right. it to fight them. Okay. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Keep telling <laughs> Harold Maya. and Kumar have gone to White Castle. All right, it's happened. There's <laughs> a, re- a reason why it's the White Castle, huh? Yeah, yeah no, they've they've stormed the White Castle, Harold. No, there is Maya, a reason. Read know. my read my read my great moments of radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's where I got that from. Exactly, I, I subconsciously exactly. channeled that. Exactly. Uh, all right, I'm <laughs> I'm putting a stop to this this racism. <laughs> Uh, my uh, my cloud of dust is not made of dust, but it is made of anti-time data, anti-time, <laughs> and uh, it is the um, the uh, cloud the cloud of anti-time that uh, Picard is generating in the uh, series finale of Star Trek: The Next Generation. All good things. Let me read to you from Memory Alpha, the uh, the wiki for uh, in-world Star Trek. Uh, discussion. Uh, anti-time is a concept in temporal me- mechanics. The rich relationship between normal time and anti-time being analogous to the one between matter and antimatter. When the two interact, they annihilate each other, and it also causes disruptions in space because uh, space and time are one. A um, An anti-time eruption essentially... Uh, runs backwards through time. Temporal energy resulting from anti-time distortions has unusual effects on organic tissue, which essentially causes it to revert to an earlier stage. This can result in old scars healing themselves or fetal tissue breaking down. And we know this from uh, All Good Things, where we learn that that, that uh, at the end of Star Trek The Next Generation, Troy and, uh, Troy and Worf are still together, you know? I, uh, li- little, little known fact, I actually have a Gmail account um, called Old Senile Peter Fenzel, whom I use uh, sometimes in large group conversations to uh, create the effect of the All Good Things episode of Star Trek The Next Generation by like, storming in and being like, I have to tell you all something. It's from the future and you have to believe me. We, we have, have to, to save to- humanity. We have to go to Bulgaria. I need to go there now. Get me a boat. And it's like, you can't go. You're a crazy old man. But yeah, no, that's one of my favorite spoof email accounts. I haven't used it in way too long. So um, <laughs> I, maybe I should get on that. Maybe I should get back on that. Yeah, you should, you should, we should create a post, uh, like a, a user on OTI for you, that's old Cranky Fenzel instead old of... Old Cranky uh, Fenzel? Yeah. Like Frankie Kong from, from Donkey Kong Country Mythos, which is the greatest mythos of all, is Donkey Kong Country Mythos. Huh. <laughs> Funky Kong. Wait, uh, is, is that Kong, the one that, that comes Kong. with the Conga peripheral? The Conga <laughs> plug into your, to your... Was that 64? Yeah, that Donkey Kong 60... It wasn't Donkey Kong 64. It was Donkey DK Jungle Beats. 
was the one where you needed the the conga drums, and I'm not looking that up. Uh, that's Jungle Beats, um, where you hit the drums and he walks, and you hit the drums and he jumps. Um, is that a, a better or worse idea than Robbie the Robot in the history of Nintendo peripherals? Robbie the Robot was a marketing coup, even though he was pretty useless. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think- Robbie the Robot was for, like, two games. Yeah. See, Robbie the Robot is a failure of design because you needed Robbie, Robot to play, Robbie the Robot to play Gyromite. And rather than this being, like, a cool feature of Robbie the Robot, it was, in fact, a terrible, terrible error in the design of Gyromite, <laughs> which is that, like, you could not play it by yourself, effectively. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's, as charming as it is to be the old guy running around with the pipes going up and down uh, and to have to, like, hold both controllers in both hands and not really know what you're doing. Um, and as fun as it was to have a robot friend, uh, I still think that perhaps they could have done better for the launch titles for the NES. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we are we are here. We are your panel tonight, and we're going to continue on with the summer movies. So when we oh, by left- the way, guys, for the I'm sorry for the people listening to the podcast, we did think of the cloud, the dust cloud from Lost. We just chose not to choose it. Yeah, yeah. there's an honorable. Uh, there's got to be an honorable mention, I think, in every in every list of picks that we do yeah. because we try not to go for the obvious choice. Right, we yes. just don't want people posting comments that like we forgot the greatest dust cloud of all time. Um, excuse yeah. me. Well, actually, the greatest dust cloud is in. Yeah, no, don't do that. I want them <laughs> posting comments. You know what I always say about the blogs. If, if you're not going to yell that, I mean, we can say it together. Okay, if they're <laughs> if not you're yelling not at you on the internet, you're, you're doing, doing something wrong. right or wrong, depending on how you formulate yeah. the, the. Apparently, we can't say it together, but we can do our best. The uh, we're gonna <laughs> something today. Yeah, exactly. There, and well, you know what? They'll be yelling us at us on the internet for that, which means we're doing something right. When we left yeah. off our discussion of summer movies 2010, we left it off at A Team, uh, the A Team, which is uh, in June. I think that's. Uh, let me check the date. Yes, June 11th. Um, on the exactly uh, a month after Mr. T Day. Yep. Exactly. Party. Well. If you've been to overthinkingit.com, you know about Mr. T-Day and the Tea Party, the Mr. Tea Party. Uh, that will be me beholding on Mr. T-Day. So, uh, you know, um, and I, May I'm 21st. actually, May 21st. I'm trying to get, I'm trying oh, to. Oh, I thought it was, sorry, I thought it was May 11th. Disregard my whole interjection. No, it's May 21st is his birthday. 21st, gotcha. yeah. Is, yeah, Mr. Yeah, T's, is Mr. T's birthday. I, I, I would like to do a whole week worth of Mr. T-related posts. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know that we can field that team, really. Um, but uh, coming out that same day is uh, Jonah Hill, Russell Brand, Rose Byrne, uh, Sean uh, P. Diddy Combs. Or no, Diddy. He's just Diddy now Combs. Elizabeth Moss in Get Him to the Greek, uh, where Russell Brand comes back as the rock and roll character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, who, really? Yes. <laughs> It's a spin-off of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And of, he, like, a romantic comedy for dudes from, like, five years ago? Yeah. And he takes Jonah Hill in tow. Jonah Hill is, like, a record company intern um, on, a, you know, on a weekend debauch, you know, on a lost weekend in Las Vegas or something like that. Wow, Forgetting Sarah Marshall was only two years ago. I guess I stand corrected. It seems yeah. to me as, as being a longer time ago. No. So basically... Just funny, to clarify, funny forgetting story. Sarah Marshall. Okay, you go first. Jonah Hill was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. That's, that's not a funny story, man. And, no, well, <laughs> here's the funny part. I mean, not funny ha-ha, because nothing I say is ever funny ha-ha, according to you goddamn people. But uh, Russell Brand is playing the character he played in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, 
Jonah Hill not playing the character that he played in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So, so Forgetting Sarah Marshall is a universe. The Forgetting Sarah Marshall slash Get Him to the Greek universe is one in which there are two identical-looking Jonah Hills, uh, one in Hawaii and one on you know mainland U.S. Anyway, sorry, you go, Matt. That's, that's, that's a no. rule that, by the way, in improv, we tell you guys not to do that. If you have two people come on in a new scene and one of them plays the same character they played before and the same with the scene with the same person, the other person really has to play the same character and repeat yeah. the scene. But, Matt, anyway. you know what this reminds me of, though? It, it's an even more extreme situation. In the movie Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh, Ben Affleck appears in the beginning of the movie as his character for Chasing Amy, which I believe is a comic book artist, and then he appears later in the movie as Ben Affleck. <laughs> right, so that's like a space of fifty minutes, and he appears as a different character, and there's no attempt to acknowledge the exact similarities between. Or to them. explain, he and Matt Damon. I, that's a good sequence, you know, in the um, in the Jane Silent Bob movie. Yeah, no, it's it's totally worth you know breaking the fourth wall or whatever they have to, whatever that's called. Yeah, when you recast an actor halfway through a movie. No, but I was I, was, I just wanted to point out um, that forgetting Sarah Marshall is to the fugitive as get him to the Greek as to U.S. Marshals. <laughs> Or, exactly. or actually, yeah. it, even worse, get into the Greek is to double jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, wait, is it the same character in Double Jeopardy? He's a different guy in know, Double I, Jeopardy. He, it, no, but isn't he a U.S. Marshal who's chasing Ashley Judd? I guess does he he's a U.S. Marshal because he works for the corrections system. But is he? Does he have a different name? Do they just recast him as another sort of like you know hard nosed U.S. Marshal that? Is not Gerard? What is Gerard? Oh man, I feel like I should That's remember. That's so hard to believe. Steven Seagal played like thirty different guys who are former special forces guys going out <laughs> for vengeance right. when their right. sons were kidnapped or whatever. I, I would draw my in- incredulity, incred- <laughs> incredulity. Yeah. I was yeah, going to say John Wayne played a lot of cowboys, but the Steven Seagal one plays a little bit better, I guess. Yeah, uh, better. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I actually confused Forgetting Sarah Marshall with Saving Silverman in my head, which is why I was really, really d- uh, doubtful that there was going to be a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a spinoff to this movie. I would and love a spinoff of, uh, of Saving Silverman. I don't know what it would be, but I thought Saving Silverman was a movie that really overperformed. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I love that movie. It's a, it's a lot funnier than you would ever expect it to be. You know, it should be it should be like Jack Black and Jason Biggs, and there's been the apocalypse, and he is and Jason Biggs can't get over uh, uh, his girlfriend, and Jack Black is trying to like both develop a hydroponic system for growing crops and like also help him get over his recent breakup. Huh. Um, Actually, I could do better than that. Saving Silverman ends. I'm and spoilers for Saving Silverman. Here. <laughs> you had enough time. <laughs> you should have gotten on it before now. It anyway. ends with a with a marriage ceremony between Jack Black and uh, Arlie Ernie, the drill sergeant from full metal jacket <laughs> they're, they're they're both gay and they're getting gay married together on stage at a no time in concert and i would very much like to see a movie about the relationship <laughs> i think would, everyone's with me on this right oh i think so i think the only people who aren't with you are people who don't know or don't remember so you know spread the word <laughs> and it'll happen which is everyone that's exactly, fine. exactly. If you want a good time uh, for a good call time, this call this number. Yeah. <laughs> call 20EatLog01. 20EatLog01. <laughs> yeah, to hear my, my voice saying, you know, welcome to the podcast voicemail. Please leave a message. Um, no, uh, go on YouTube and search for Russell Brand audition for getting Sarah Marshall. And. Uh, <laughs> 
and he auditioned ha- for it? Yeah, he did. And there's a there's a video of an improvisation that he did in the course of his audition that is just effing brilliant. Uh, oh. uh, so says I. Anyway, uh, Russell Brand audition for for getting Sarah Marshall. Uh, I he's a guy I got to say I like him. I guess he's all overexposed and stuff in in Britain, but I I sort of enjoy him. I read his book even. Mm-hmm. It is entitled My Bookie Wook. <laughs> All right. Moving on. I think we've we've done this one to death. All right. Also on June 11th, this is interesting to see what people counter-program against each other. So June 11th, we have the A-Team, uh, you know, Action Spectacular, Get Him to the Greek, comedy, counter-programming thing, right? And then uh, on the same day, The Karate Kid, the remake starring which is, Will Which Smith's is an abomination. I believe, I believe that's technically an abomination. <laughs> an right? abomination. Jaden... Yeah. Uh, hang on, hang on a second. Pete, you're the guy who's always saying, we should have more movie remakes. Right? <laughs> it is, it, like, yes. Treat us like a text, and we just reinterpret, keep reinterpreting it. Yes, exactly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you make a new movie that has nothing to do with the old movie and call it the same thing. Right. See, <laughs> this is the thing, Pete. I was totally prepared to give this movie the benefit of the doubt if they called it The Kung Fu Kid. Yes, yes. But the fact that they insisted on calling it The Karate Kid, even though, like, at best, it's going to be a really... I hear that, that the way they're going to explain it is they're going to have, like, people sort of taunt him in the movie as being the karate kid he's going to be constantly correcting them it's kung fu damn it and it's sort of going to be like sort of a tongue-in-cheek name this is like making a, a comedy called like later hosen live and then making a sequel to it called later hosen live 2 that takes place in france and like right. doesn't reference the fact that there's no later hosen in it and it's just like yes there's a difference between german people and french people yes no, wait, i've got i've got that sequel pete it's weekend and birdies too is what you just described <laughs> how so <laughs> they're not birdies at all pete <laughs> <laughs> They're not. They're totally not at any property owned by Bertie at any point. <laughs> yeah, is it? He doesn't like. He's not like a snail that carries his home with him wherever he goes. He's not like. <laughs> like wherever there is Bernie, that is Bernie's. You know, like that is that is how we define it. Um, no, I guess not. I guess they're not like the Jodes in their truck heading across the American Southwest. <laughs> like everywhere they find his home and like Rosa Sharon's breast is like the ever-flowing fountain of life. No, I think that um... – <laughs> no, no, the Karate Kid it, uh, aspires to far lower. And I guess, you know, Jackie Chan is in this, so I mean I probably will be watchable. No, it'll be – I mean, again, I have no reason to believe the movie will be bad. I just don't like how it – everywhere else in the world I think it's going to be called the Kung Fu Kid, right? I mean I heard that rumor. Um, oh, no, really? That, that's even worse. Just in case people in the podcast or listening don't know what we're talking about, the movie The Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio and Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita and stuff, is about karate, which is a Japanese martial art, Okinawan martial art, uh, and Pat Morita is a Japanese guy. Uh, Kung Fu Kid takes place in China, or Karate Kid, rather, takes place in China, where Will Smith's kid learns Kung Fu from Jackie Chan. And the problem with the movie is that... Who is it not named Mr. Mr. Miyagi. The character's name is now Mr. Han. Right. Which is, of course, like, you know, Mr. White Guy in Chinese, basically. Like, right. Han is, like, a major ethnic group of China. It's like Smith, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like... And it's like... There... It's the assumption is that Americans don't know the difference or that there is even a difference between Chinese people and Japanese people or China and Japan or like different martial arts. It's all like jump kicking and it's all good. Right. And it's all the same. And and I, I don't like the idea that it presumes I don't like two things about this movie. I don't like the idea that it well, three things, which is it's an about it's it, it's I love the karate kid is the first thing I don't like about this movie. And it disrespects it. Second thing I don't like about the movie is that if 
if it's called Kung Fu Kid Ever Else in the World, it assumes that Americans are stupider and more racist than anybody else in the world. And I don't think that's fair. And third uh, that I don't like about it um, is well, – actually, I had it in my head for a second. I think it might have got out of my head. Oh, uh, because I don't like seeing movies get all jingoistic about China so that they can go into the market. I don't like the idea that the Chinese government requires movies that are published in China. China to be like very pro-China and very, very like China is awesome and other parts of Asia don't matter. Um, and I don't like that. I don't like seeing Hollywood studios take beloved properties and like cater to the whims of the Chinese government in order to get the movie into China. I feel like that's kind of not um, that's not morally or ethically good. It doesn't make I mean, Pete, Pete, you don't think that in this case they just sort of were like, who could be Mr. Miyagi? Oh, wait, Jackie Chan. I guess we're going to China now. No, I bet you that they were like, the, the, you know, China is hot. You know, like we want this to be in China's a huge market, right? Like, you know, let's let's make a movie for China that we can make money with in China. Um, Japan is old. Nobody cares about Japan anymore. Like Japan is the old and busted. China is the new hotness. And I don't mind that. Like, I don't mind the China being the new hotness. What I mind is movies like this and like Hero, which also upset me. Hey, Matt, remember when we went to that bar after we saw Hero and I got in that yeah. like, two hour long argument with that woman about it that was so regrettable? And okay, we all liked the movie Hero. The argument was whether it was communist propaganda, which it very clearly is. Yeah, exactly. So it's um, almost and- like without knowing what the movie is about, if it's funded by like, you know, the state of China that heavily, if it's that big a budget production, it probably is communist propaganda to some extent. And then if you watch the movie, then you realize it's, it's very explicit Chinese you know, communist propaganda. It's also great. You should all see it. <laughs> I, 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 for one, welcome our new Han Chinese overlords. <laughs> the, um, Just to, to the other one what you like said, that that was pretty but, transparent I thought was Iron Monkey. Really? Yeah, oh, I guess. It, uh, yeah, yeah. Where he? I mean, Iron Monkey was a Chinese he steals, like, movie that was from uh, from. The, oh, you mean as communist, right? Yeah. I thought you meant that like it was it was Hollywood catering to China. No, no, no. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a Chinese movie where he he steals money from the evil capitalist imperialists, right? Or he yes. steals grain well, yeah, or something like that. Most Chinese communist propaganda isn't really about like monetary equality because that's not what the government's interest is most like movies that are propaganda for the chinese government are about like how you should not question the social order or fight the leadership and that's what hero's about hero hero says you are actually the hero if you let the tyrant live because the the unrest caused by your protest is a bigger damage to people and society than like the continual rule of the evil tyrant yeah i guess spoiler spoiler this is like our 18th spoiler alert in this podcast that like the heroic act is is even though that that everyone in the movie sort of acknowledges that the emperor is like a bloodthirsty tyrant who's committed numerous atrocities to uh, to Jedi's you know peoples explicitly, uh, he is a hero for basically not killing the emperor because that would basically create a civil war and the civil war would be worse than the bloodthirsty tyrant. Yeah. Which is which runs very counter to the values that I was indoctrinated in in my youth, which I understand. You know, there's a certain relativism there, and I'll I'll own up to it. But it doesn't mean I don't feel that way. So, no Mark was saying something though. The Asian guy was saying something about this Asian movie, and he's Korean, and they're like the Irish of Asia. Nobody likes them, <laughs> so I'm sure he has a pretty strong opinion. Wait, Korea's uh, like the true. Irish of Asia? I'm offended. <laughs> Oh, no, wait, I, I weren't, think, you guys ki- weren't you guys I kicked cannot... around for like a thousand years and like everybody was occupying you and doing all sorts of nasty things to your people and disrespecting you? You do like potatoes, Mark. Admit these, it. These things are all true, and I do like potatoes, but I still think offensive. <laughs> you still, you still, still think you're, you're, it's offensive to be called Irish. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, may, I may talk with a brogue. I may talk with Irish brogue. I just find it offensive. 
All right. So just to correct one thing you said earlier that this is being marketed in the rest of the world as Kung Fu Kid. I'm pretty sure it's not the case. I'm looking at this IMDb page here. There's no uh, mention of a uh, – it just says that the Kung Fu Kid was a working title in the USA, which was oh, true. See, I had, um, read an, I had read an interview that said Jackie Chan had said that that was probably going to be the case. But I, I totally believe it if that's not the case. That's fine. Jackie Chan so has been uh, known to say things that are incorrect from time to time. Writer, uh, writer Ion or Writer Lawn. I can't tell whether it's a capital I or a lowercase L in the chat room, says that according to IMDb, the Japanese title for the new Karate Kid movie is Best Kid. Some things just get lost in translation. You know? So, so going back to the original, it's probably point, like a clever pun in Japanese or something. Yeah, but going back to the point P is trying to make about how um, you know calling it the Karate Kid uh, sort of panders to the American audience and like assumes that they don't understand the difference between different kind of martial arts and just kind of conflate various Asian cultures together. I see a little bit of that possibility there. I'm not going to go quite as far and agree that that is, you know, that is, you know, because of that automatically the movie is, well, not automatically, but that is a huge strike against the movie. I'm still willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm probably not going to see it, but I'm still willing to give it the benefit of the doubt and don't quite have this visceral, visceral reaction that everyone else does uh, against the idea of this remake. But maybe as, uh, as I mentioned before on the blog that I kind of resent Pat Morita and the original Karate Kid. I wasn't a That's big true. fan of it. You so like it's not as much of a life. sacred text to me as uh, as it might be some of you, some of all you other people. To Al Saint Germain, like, yeah. to real Americans. <laughs> I, uh, real Americans. I, I encourage everyone to go back to our uh, uh, Karate Kid Week on Overthinking <laughs> It, and also to a very early episode of this of this podcast with special guest Al Saint Germain, uh, who hailed from the San Fernando Valley, home of Daniel San in uh, in the Karate Kid. Uh, the the podcast title is A Map of Los Angeles. <laughs> yes, you and Al St. Germain spend 45 minutes talking about different places in, like, suburban Los Angeles. Like, all the different gradations of Santa Monica. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, basically. I was at a Christmas party, and I locked myself in the guy's study in the side of the party to get on the podcast. And I'm sitting there listening to you guys be like, oh, you just go up to 403 or whatever it is. And it's just like, I'm useless. I can't uh, help at all. It's the 405. Thank you. 405. Well, actually. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, actually, all right, we're pushing on from The Karate Kid uh, and on to the next weekend of June, June 18th, um, day before my birthday, Jonah Hex, starring Josh Brolin, John Malkovich, Megan Fox, Michael Fassbender, and Will Arnett, uh, based yeah. on a um, DC Comics uh, graphic novel or, or series of comic books. This is kind of a deep cut from the DC universe. Yeah. This is like a Batman animated series. Like every once in a while, they would just do a flashback episode for no reason. <laughs> this is yeah, this is like when they had Vigilante as a major character in the later seasons of the Justice League cartoon, right? It's like this whole sort of panoply of people that they have in reserve that they can pull out whenever they need to. Um, although I guess Jonah yeah, Hex is more legit, like in recent. But basically, the deal is like he's like a cowboy, and he has no superpowers except being a badass. Right. Well, I mean, I prom- primarily know Jonah Hex from the internet meme of that picture of him shooting Superman in the back with two revolvers full of kryptonite bullets, saying "Adios, spaceman," <laughs> uh, and that's like how I primarily know who Jonah Hex is. <laughs> Um, which is still like a pretty cool introduction. It's certainly cooler than being like, "Hey, guy with a scar on his face and Megan Fox." Like, <laughs> we know who you are. You're going to see this movie. <laughs> and hey, this is the Van Helsing of the summer. I'm calling that right now. Like, this is the Van Helsing. Um, this is like the, the the bridge too far. Where I, I want to see it, but I'm going to see it. And it's going to be like, 
good price. It's part of that because no, of the I, tones that you see on this picture here. We're looking at the honestly, yes. Blue, honestly, yes. it's like the little aurora that they have around them in this little yeah. movie poster. It's just it, like this is mediocre. It's it's way too uh, underworld. I the like it for me. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I usually like a Western, but this doesn't look like a Western. This is like your generic action superhero B-movie that happens to be in the Old West. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. You're saying Old West here, but the, the plot synopsis here says that uh, this is tracking a voodoo practitioner who's bent on liberating the South by raising an army of the undead. You mean like the Confederate South? Yes. I, I like, it's, it's, about? it's supposed to be the Old West. It's supposed to be like 1870, 1880 or something. It's basically like like a wild, wild west steampunk world where he probably has some fancy, you know, uh, revolvers that, I don't know, shoot fire or something. I don't know. Well, well Old West and, and, and the Confederate South are two distinctly different uh, well, ideas. Bloody Kansas is where they come together. I mean, there was certainly a relationship, especially at the beginning of the Civil War, between the sort of chaos in the, in the West. Because a lot of the chaos that was caused in the West was a result of sectionalism and sort of sectionalist partisans racing to create states, like to get enough people into places fast enough so that you could create a state to give like an advantage in the Senate to the sort of free states. Absolutely. States. That's, that, that's definitely true. I'm thinking more sort of just from our popular imagination of cowboys and gunslingers in this picture i see here of jonah hex with the revolvers and the hat and the belt is very you segment that you know sort of and and, well you know what i say that and then i think of the good the bad and the ugly right which is a western in the civil war right so maybe maybe there is a more of a conflation there than i originally thought I mean, I think you make a good point. I think that there is a division in the popular imagination between the old west and the civil war that isn't as big of a division in history as it is in the popular imagination, right? That, like, cowboys had more to do with the Civil War than we would like to think because, you know, Texas was kind of a factor and all that other stuff. All that stuff is happening at the same time in more, you know, in what you could loosely describe as the same country, sort of, right? Um, and it's all, it's all contemporaneous. It's just different parts of it, but they've evolved in these, like, totally different imaginary worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like making a grunge movie at the same time that you make a Gulf War movie, and they're both about Americans. And it's like, were these, <laughs> yes, the people in the Gulf War were probably listening to Nirvana, but, like... You know, they were contemporaneous, but were they really in the same place in our minds? Like, probably not. Hmm. Yeah, I just want to wrap this up. Is that uh, now that I, if it as this movie is actually about the South and the civil and the the, uh, the the South rising again with an undead army, I'm actually kind of interested in it just because <laughs> of this whole resurgence of Civil War history and uh, and the controversy over the Civil War Confederate History Month in Virginia and whatnot. Um, I got and of course, my mind. if you're going to pick a gritty ugly cowboy with megan fox to start an action flick about zombies like ra- raising the american south in, in bloody secession you're going to pick the director of horton here's a who to do it right i mean that's, that's, <laughs> that's the right call well apparently so according, according to the summary that we have uh this director whose name is uh jimmy hayward is being forced to do reshoots under the eye of a more experienced director uh francis lawrence because the studio i guess is concerned about the uh about some of the footage that they're seeing. But speaking of Pixar, releasing on the same day as Jonah Hex, Toy Story 3, uh, Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Michael Keaton, Whoopi Goldberg, Timothy Dalton. Uh, Yes. 14 years since the first Toy Story, 10 years since Toy Story 2. uh, The toys get dumped in a daycare center. Uh, right. Andy- it sort of takes place in in real time that like it, it the kid from Toy Story one and two is actually grown up. It's ten years later. Right. He's leaving, and the toys are finding a new home. Basically. Yeah, the, the same the same amount of time has elapsed in the story universe and in the the audience universe. 
This is going to be a rough weekend for me. I don't really want to see either of these movies. But thankfully, I have shows on that Friday and Saturday night in Philadelphia. So if you want to see improv shows in Philadelphia rather than either of these movies, give me a, drop me a line at fansalitoverthinkingit.com. But anyway, so, I, I'm not a big fan of the Toy Story movies, but maybe one of you guys is, and you can talk about being excited about this. Well, I mean, here's the big thing about that Pixar is that they're, they've been on such a winning streak. I mean, their last two movies um, – I mean, uh, Wally got you know fantastic reviews. You know, uh, praise up the wazoo. Uh, up, obviously, probably even more. Actually, you know, won some. Uh, I'm sorry, what did it win? Did it win best original screenplay or something? No, right. But it animated won film, right? Right. I guess it won animated film. But it was not just the fact that it was nominated for best original screenplay is a huge coup for an animated film. Right. Um, so the question is that, like, even if Toy Story 3 makes, like, $300 million, it could still easily be perceived to be a massive failure. If I mean, all it has to do is not win the Academy Award for Best Animated Film of the Year or, or not get, like, a perfect, you know, 95% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's going to be perceived as, like, you know, a failure in monumental proportions. Mm-hmm. You know, well, like yeah, the everyone, I mean, so everyone is kind of like, you know, sort of drumming their fingers together, you know, like Mr. Burns kind of waiting for for uh, Pixar to make a misstep. Right. Yeah. I mean, they've been on such a hunt. And the thing is, like Toy Story 3, based on the trailers, it seems fine, but it doesn't seem like maybe art. You know, it doesn't seem like it's really pushing the boundaries of, like, what they could, you could do with an animated film in the way that, like, let's say the first 10 minutes of Up did. So the question is, like, if Toy Story 3 is going to really knock it out of the park um, and in and, and a way that sneaks up on us, or whether it's going to be a perfectly serviceable family entertainment, but not up to Pixar's ridiculously high standards. Right. I mean, we don't want to write them off. I, I think no, no, no. I, I would certainly never write Pixar off. I'm just saying that, like, up the sort of buzz from the very beginning was that this is going to be something special. I haven't really seen or heard anything about Toy Story 3 that suggested, like, this is going to, you know, bring everyone in the theater to tears from the first five minutes and keep you in tears all the way through, or whatever it is that it's supposed to do. Right. To really, I mean, th- I guess what I'm saying is like, will Toy Story 3 be nominated for Best Original Screenplay in the Academy Awards? And if not, will this be perceived as a failure? Mm. And also, what is Tim Allen doing right now? Because he's <laughs> going to be in this movie, and I haven't really thought about that in a while. Like, it's yeah. What has he, he, he been up to? You know, Tim Allen. I think he's probably been uh, on, in rehab for cocaine use. <laughs> no, he hasn't. I'm, I'm just saying mean things about him. I don't know what he does. I don't know what Tim. I'm not Tim Allen's keeper. I'm not his next door neighbor with my face poking over the fence. Actually, with the so. with the exception of Tom Hanks, the rest of the cast. What has Michael Keaton been doing recently? What has Whoopi Goldberg been doing recently? Mm. What has Timothy Dalton been doing <laughs> since the late '80s? <laughs> the Rocketeer. Thank you very much. Oh, I guess it was the early '90s. If anything, it's probably the late '80s too. Yeah. And this just, this just ties back to my, my post from a week ago about how the stars in some of the highest grossing films nowadays are not what you consider to be A-list celebrities necessarily. Right, right, right. I think there's a bit of a generational change that's partially responsible for that too. Um, and it's tricky I mean, because – Michael what? Keaton is a hero to the kids. Yeah, exactly. It's like Justin Bieber is trending. Michael Keaton is not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, also probably uh, something to do with the, the the fragmentation of our options for entertainment, right? Mm. 
That is to say, so. like when when movies are just by far the dominant form of of entertainment. Oh, I think someone made the point in the comments on your post, Matt, that that pop music may have beat out. You know, Michael Jackson and Madonna may have beat out pretty much any movie star, at least on a global level, right? But in general, I feel like pop stars have, may have a longer shelf life because I think there's you could do you know three movies in a year, and so that like you either make or break as an actor, you know, in sort of sped up time. But as like a recording star, I mean, like it's not a trick for like a rapper to be a popular rapper rapper for ten years if you release you know three decent albums. Right, right, right. Like DMX. Yeah, Which is the first I mean, one that comes to mind. I, I think it's easier to have longevity as a recording artist than as a movie star. Mm. All right, I mean, moving not, on. Not, uh, I can't think of anything to say about race in Toy Story Three, so I got nothing. <laughs> well, they're all the toys are made in China, for Christ's sake. That's what it's about. <laughs> well, there's there's one African American in our next movie, so maybe you can be, uh, maybe you can find something in that. Grown Ups uh, is uh, Adam Sandler and the Happy Madison Gang. Kevin James, Chris Rock, Rob Schneider, David Spade. It's actually an SNL reunion. Uh, as well, except for uh, Kevin James, I guess. And uh, it's a story of friends who were childhood friends who reunite 25 years later or something like that um, at the lake house where they spend summers as a child uh, to honor their um, uh, coach, their late coach, uh, after his death. They're all middle-aged. They have wives. They have kids. Um, you know, it, but it's, a, it's an Adam Sandler movie about growing up. But aren't they all, in a way? I feel like this is a movie about the people who weren't invited to the movie before it on our list and who aren't invited to the movie after it on our list. <laughs> they like don't exist in the reality of Toy Story 3 or the movie that comes next. It's like, yeah, you guys get your nice little ghetto on June 25th to go enjoy yourselves. Like, have fun. We don't want the, these two movies to butt right up against each other. So, um, I don't know. Kevin James seems to be pretty mediocre. So, like, he makes movies, right? I guess that's something worth happening in the world. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, it looks like uh, uh, David Spade has hair, which is nice. Rob Schneider's hair is still vertical. Did any of you guys see Funny People? Yeah, liked it a lot, actually. It, yeah. yeah. So is this, like, this going to be more like Funny People? Is this sort of serious growing up Adam Sandler who wants to be a serious actor? Or is this going to be like Click, where it's like Adam Sandler makes a comedy that barely remains a comedy because he tries to pipe so much like family-friendly messaging into it. And I don't mean family-friendly in this case in the sense of like being good for children, but I mean like, you know, pro the sort of, I mean, I could say heteronormative, but that's a little bit off the, off the table, uh, but like this sort of, you know, family paradigm of, of the good um, and whatnot. Being yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, Pete. I haven't seen the trailer, but the question is, like, is this sort of like, uh, are there going to be a lot of broad physical comedy moments? Yeah. Is it going to be like a really sort of hagging message? Or is this actually trying to be sort of a nuanced, maybe, movie about, about growing up and letting go of the past and blah, yeah, blah, sort blah, of blah, character, blah, blah? I mean, uh, sort of character movie. Like, it doesn't, the setup doesn't sound like there's a ton of plot in it. It just right. sounds like these guys are sort of sitting around and, and, uh, catching up or you know what i mean like sort of coming to terms with their lives which is i mean of- the big chill the big chill is amazing right so yeah sure it's Sorry. classic yeah yeah definitely you guys i would say that'd be possible were it not for the presence of rob schneider in this movie <laughs> 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 do it <laughs> 
You know what? I'm, I'm going to make a prediction right now, and I'm not going to be right, but if I am, you guys heard it here first. Rob Schneider will be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. For this role. <laughs> that is a wonderful example of a great, great bet. Not because it's probably going to happen, but because the upside of winning is so much greater than the downside of losing. <laughs> that's Maybe that's- if he dies. <laughs> no, it's it's going to be like, he, he basically, like, he's, it's clear that he's hiding something at the beginning of the movie. A third of the way through, it becomes clear that, like, he has a terminal disease, he has four months to live, and it's going to be a really sort of touching portrayal of, like, a man who's trying to, like, you know, look back on his life and, like, take something out of it. And it becomes a, a cheap dog. No, right. and, 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 yes, and he will, um, yeah. he will get get the body of Jennifer Love Hewitt at some point. And then at, on June 24th, he will take a bullet for President Obama and will become a national hero. <laughs> and Grown Ups, the highest grossing movie of all time. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> I can't we shouldn't rag on these guys too much. Remember, what, again, Pete, your own words. What are, who are our favorite actors? Those who work. Right, actors who work. That's correct. We like yeah. actors who work. These guys, they're making movies. Yep. It's parts. also yeah, not to throw your movies Rob Schneider's been making, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's also like I don't know. Like you think it's just a stupid, you think it's just a stupid, you know, mindless comedy. You try making one, become a millionaire. Like, yeah, you yeah. think Adam Sandler's work is dumb? You you know, you get paid twenty five million dollars a movie. I mean, right? I think I think Uwe Boll said it best, where he's like, I don't know where you people get off. If I start making movies. My money does not become your money. Don't get upset because you with your little brother. With a, a movie of you with the little brother and your ketchup. Like, you can't make movies. Uh, all right. Then, then uh, technically, this is, I think, probably like 4th of July weekend. But June 30th. Uh, and it's the only it's the only one listed on this list of big movies that we have here is uh, the Twilight the Twilight Juggernaut rolls on with its third installment Eclipse with um, you know with all the usual suspects oh hey uh, audience listen we did something I want to hear what you think of it we recorded a full length commentary track alternative commentary track to uh, Twilight. The the original the first film in the series and I, it's it's me and Belinky and John Parrish and uh, so we watched the movie together virtually over you know Skype and recorded our thoughts as we we went I haven't pushed it live on the site yet is that something that interests you you want to hear a uh, it's not a MST3K or a riff tracks. Um, style thing because we're not making a lot of jokes it's just more kind of observations and thinking and overthinking about the movie and sort of teasing out the implications and commenting on what we see uh as we go anyway uh thoughts this is our last movie so thoughts on twilight uh i think this one is going somewhere i feel like this movie franchise might be really on the verge of mainstream popularity and i I feel like these (laughs) plucky young actors really might if they keep it stay in school i think they might make something special out of their lives and i'm really i'm really psyched to see where they take this whole thing so (laughs) (laughs) what do you guys think i haven't read the books i haven't watched the movies I, i didn't get to make the riff tracks with you guys or whatever um so i wasn't i wasn't there for that unfortunately but um, but I mean, did, was the first Twilight movie any good? Was the second Twilight movie any good? I, I love vampires and werewolves, but it, it got <laughs> any good is a really big phrase. Yeah, I I put the production value of the first Twilight movie at uh, about at the level of a History Channel reenactment. <laughs> My dearest Abigail, <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. no, I mean, they're, they're exactly. actually 
really are that. some seeds that are supposed to be said in the past. Yeah. And they throw like a vignette effect on it. They make it sort of sepia tone. Yeah, exactly. A sepia oh. tone vignette kind of sm- you know, you know that there was a there was a PA like running through the forest with a smoke machine, you know, putting <laughs> fog uh, putting fog into the environment. Like uh really oh, this gives are, me- oh, like man. you learn the you learn the origin of werewolves and the the antipathy that werewolves and vampires have for each other, you know? Oh, I got it, I got it. It was because the werewolves were on the Confederate side and the vampires were on the Union side. <laughs> In the Civil War. It all comes all together. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, see, see, this gives me a great opportunity to bring up what I've been doing pop culture-wise for the last week while not seeing movies, which is being on Hulu watching the F out of Highlander the series, which sounds like it's kind of a kind of a brother to Twilight, I suppose, because it's like, like, it's like it tries to be very forcibly romantic, but it has this sort of action movie shell, and there's lots of flashbacks that are pretty low budget, and like lots of weird camera effects that aren't very professional, and like um, there's definitely like the PA running through the smoke machine effect, and it's like let's show what it was like in medieval France in this like you know back back this forest like behind this Chuck E. Cheese that we have like a camera, <laughs> on. but uh, I don't know. Have you guys ever watched Highlander the series? I'm a big fan of that show. Um, I like that show a lot, even though the first season in particular is. Re- really, really schlocky and stupid. Um, I still am a huge fan. And I love that the, the Queen music for it is is there. Like, yeah. they have the music. And it and it, it's more of a coup to me that they get the actual Queen music than they get any of the actors from the original movie or any of the stuff in the original movie. Because it just instantly ups the level of class that's involved in what's going on. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person who watched this. I mean, I'm probably the only person who logged onto Hulu and was like, 30 Rock, Psh, The Office, Psh, oh my God, they have sliders. Wow. Maybe she should get more work, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. So. <laughs> Who wants to live forever when love must die is the well, Twilight question. This, if it um, has sword Highlanders. Who first, wants to live forever watch. when love must die? Alas, this podcast must die. So if you want to uh, comment on anything we've said, join the conversation uh, either in the chat room. We live stream the episode Sunday nights, 6.15 uh, Pacific Time, 9.15 Eastern Time. And while the U.S. is on Daylight Savings Time now, I've discovered that it's 0115 UTC. You can find us on Ustream by searching for Overthinking It or, you know, follow the Twitter, uh, follow the... Um, uh, follow the Twitter or the Facebook, the Facebook page. The Facebook page, which is up to like 13,000 fans, most of whom are teenage girls, by the way. And that's like, you know, I've seen our, our podcast uh, listener, uh, podcast listener um, s- uh, uh, survey numbers, and that is not our demo. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, it's, you know, and we know how it happens. People see like the words overthinking it and think like, OMG, I totally do that. If you go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash overthinking it, you'll see a lot of people saying, OMG. Gee, I totally do that on our Facebook page. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But I digress. If you want to join the conversation, it's podcast at overthinkingit.com or 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Make sure to give your latitude and longitude when you write in. And, uh, you know, until the next episode where we'll probably wrap up or at least continue. Or maybe we'll take a little break. Nope. Um, We've got like eight more podcasts on summer movies coming Yeah, exactly. At the, ra- <laughs> at the rate, at the rate, we're... we're um, at the rate we're going, uh, it's yeah, it's probably like three more hours of podcast just to get through the summer movies. But uh, until those podcasts, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't. My dearest Abigail. I have been at civil war for thousands of years, fighting the vampires. 